Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is part two of a two-part interview with Chef Marc Forgione on Chef's Story. You're listening to Chef Story, and this is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today my guest is Mark Forgione. And Mark, you're still in your 20s when you come back, mid-20s maybe, 25? Okay, and you've just had, you've with Laurent Tourandel, your own father, Larry Forgione, American Place, graduated UMass in hospitality and tourism, and, and spent a year in France with, at a three-star Michelin restaurant with Michel Guérard. So, did you say, I'm ready to do my own when you came back? Uh, well, I came back, and uh, Laurent uh, was opening BLT Fish, um, which, again, at the time, this is only the second BLT. This was back when, in a way, before the, the empire that it is now. So, um, And he also told me that he just signed a lease on what was to become BLT Prime, and he asked me to help open fish and then be the chef of BLT Prime. And to be honest, I wasn't sure if I was ready, um, but he told me that he thought I was, so who was I to argue with him? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, I think I was 26, and I was the chef de cuisine of, of BLT Prime. Um, Is that on 57? No, 20, 20, 20 second oh, 20, and Park. Yeah, 22nd Park. Um, and so here I was, like I said, a 26-year-old kid, and I was in charge of, you know, whatever it was, 25 cooks and, you know, huge front of the house. I mean, it was like 75 employees there. And, um, you know, at, to be honest, it was very overwhelming, but as with anything, you know, up until my point and up until that point in my life, I just said, you know, screw it, let's do it. And... Uh, really just invested every waking moment into it. Um, looking back, it was a very crazy time in my life. Um, but we got it done. We got great uh, great reviews. Um, you know, the accolades that we all wanted and this, that, the other thing. And then he, be- I became the corporate chef for BLT. And How did you like doing that? For the first... No, for the first six months... Well, that was the funny thing. Like, I still... I used to get in trouble... For you know, Laurent would be like, "Where are you?" And I'd be like, "I'm at BLT Fish." You know, what are you doing? I'm like, "I'm making the fish special for the day." Like, I need you to, you know, go check the numbers and like, you know what I mean? Like, if I got in trouble for anything, it was for cooking. cooking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was also a cool experience. I opened, I don't even remember how many now. I don't know, eight BLTs by the time I left. Um, and when we, after we opened BLT Market. Um, that was when I said to my BLT Market was the kind of restaurant that I wanted to have. You know, um, extremely seasonal, working with different farmers and purveyors and animal uh, farmers. And so I think when we opened BLT Market, that was when 
the, the spark kind of got lit that said, okay, I can't do this corporate thing anymore. I want to go do my own thing. Um, and then I met my now business partner, Chris Blumlow. And, um, how did you meet him? Through a friend of mine from college. He went to UMass as well. We kind of knew each other, but we weren't really like friends at school. We kind of, he was two years ahead of me, I think, and like we were in the same circles. But he but was at the business end. Yeah. And, and the two of you have a drink and say, let's go for it. Yeah, we would meet uh, three times a week down, and he was working at the financial center at the time, and we would meet there at 9 o'clock in the morning three times a week, and... Um, you know, this is when, okay, pen to paper and, you know, uh, what are we going to do? Here's some menu samples, you know, you know, candlelight, brick, like what are we, you know, what are we looking for in the space and how many seats and, um, and then how I got to... investors? Well, that's, well, I'll get to that. All right. <laughs> so, uh, a friend of a friend uh, says, hey, I heard you're looking for your own place. There's this is place down in Tribeca. Um, and I know it sounds weird, you know, being from New York, but I'd n- never really been to Tribeca. You know, I was like, where? You know, West Broadway and Reed, like, what the hell? You know what I mean? So I get on the, the two, the one of the three, two or three, whatever, get out, and I'm like a tourist. I mean, I'm like looking at streets, like, hey, where's Reed Street? Um, and it was September-ish. Yeah, it was early September, and, you know, it's just a beautiful day, and you know, Reed Street's a tree-lined street, and, um, you know, I'm walking up the block, and I see this, you know, beautiful deck with, like, tables on it, and this tree in the front of this thing, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, please tell me this is the space that, that I'm going to look at, and I'm a big, like, believer in energy and, and karma and all that kind of stuff, like, the second I stepped up onto that deck, it was like a, a rush of, like, you know, this is like I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Like, you know, this is this is it. This and is this is home. Restaurants have a tree outside. No, I don't. forestry background. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Full circle, right? Full circle. Um, but anyway, so we sit on that deck, and you know, uh, we're having a glass of wine. And the guy who owned the place at the time kind of gets up and walks away to go check something, and I kicked the guy, the friend of a friend who brought me there under the table, and just said, "Look, man, you know, let's just make this happen." Like. Yeah, it's the first place I looked at, um, which is pretty crazy. I mean, literally the first place that I looked at. Love at first sight. Yeah, and um, so I, you know, I, I get my business partner. I'm like, hey, I think I found the spot. Can't believe this is happening. Blah 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 blah. So then the next part of it was the owner saying that he needed a down payment of three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in three weeks. I said, no problem. Handshake. <laughs> And then I call Blumlow and tell him, hey, man, uh, good news. You know, I think we got the spot. Um, quote, unquote, bad news. We need to get $350,000 in three weeks. And we had zero money. I mean, nothing. So what was the we didn't even start by, talking to an investor yet. My God. So was the kitchen... No, the kitchen was a disaster. A disaster. The place was a disaster. Okay. So that was key money, as we call key money, yes. turning over the yeah, lease. Yeah. The place was... It looks nothing like what it looks like now. Right. But... I saw it, like I knew it, like there was, you know, he had, you know, subway tile covering brick and there were mirrors covering this beautiful elevator shaft and like, I saw it, it's hard to explain, but I, I saw it before it happened. Anyway, so to, to raise money, we said, okay, and we, you know, wrote 
emails and made phone calls to all of our friends and family and said, okay, <laughs> we're opening a restaurant. It's $20,000 for a point. You know, you know, who's coming with me? And um, it turned into, okay, I'm in. Maybe I have a friend. Okay, they want you to go cook at their apartment. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, Did well. Three weeks you had to do that? Yeah, if we're going to go cook at somebody's apartment, you know, why don't we invite like five other people? And I'd, cook, I'd go to somebody's apartment and cook, you know, three or four courses for ten people. And Collect they would write a check <laughs> if they liked it or not. Right. And we raised, uh, we raised a million bucks in probably in two months. What a great story. Yeah, I mean, I don't recommend for anybody else to do it that way because yeah. it was as stressful as you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, we were still taking investment six months into being open. I mean, right. you know, we'd get twenty thousand, we'd spend the twenty thousand. We'd right. get the thirty thousand, we'd spend the thirty thousand. Right. Because um, you had to redo the kitchen, redo the. Yeah, it cost us total a uh, million dollars to open it, but looking back, we needed a million five. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't necessarily get the china that I wanted. I couldn't necessarily. Um, you know, have the payroll that I wanted. You know what I mean? We did it, you know, crazy. The way you had to do it. Obviously, it looks like it was the right idea, but if I could do it over again, we would have done it a lot differently. It was nuts. And, you know, the... What year did you open? 2008. Oh, great year. Winter. Awesome. <laughs> Wall awesome. Street implodes. <laughs> so, yeah, we opened summer 2008. September. And then September... No, September, October, November 2008, I mean, it just went, did, I mean, did, just dropped. And you're by Wall Street. Oh, so yeah. for everybody out there, you know, this is a national Oh, no, program. yeah, no, it was our front porch. I mean, we went from doing 120 covers to doing 20 covers <gasps> from one week to the next. I mean, how did you, you know, you went, you we survive? went from doing, we went from doing 85 a week, 85,000 a week to 35,000, one week to the next. I mean, if you look at the books from that, that time. Um, so we had to let pretty much everybody that worked there go. Um, it was me and two cooks and a dishwasher. Um, you know, it was, you know, Blumlow, my manager, Matt, and, you know, maybe four or five waiters. I mean, it was nuts. It was crazy. And we had to do everything. Um, and, you know, going back to, like, when I said, like, France was the year that kind of turned me into a man, well... You know, 2009 was the year that, you know, brought me to my knees and made me... It showed me what being humble was really all about and how important one dollar is. Um, you know, I came from, you know, BLT and Michelle Girard and American Place and, you know what I mean, places where... They had the luxury. Yeah, exactly. And now all of a sudden it's like... How do you make payroll? How, how do I buy meat? I mean, how do I... You know what I mean? How do, how do I, you know, get the fish in? You know what I mean? I mean, it was insane. And I had some purveyors that understood and they believed me. And I told them, look, I know I have a $20,000 credit with you guys right now. And I'm sorry, but, you know, please just deliver the striped bass. Like, please, you know. And everybody at that year told me, um, you need to change the menu. You need to lower the prices. You know, let's just turn into a bistro. And I just said, I, I can't do it. You know what I mean? So you have a, one business partner and all these investors. Yeah. What's your business partner saying to you? Everybody, not just him. My father included, wanted to turn the place into a bistro. You know, let's do steak affordable. frites. Yeah, yeah, affordable stuff and blah, 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 blah. 
And I just, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? I said, you know what, guys, I'd rather close than try to be a bistro and then go down that way. You know what I mean? Like, if we're going to close, and I'm going to go down fighting and believing in what I do. I worked my whole life to do this. I'm not going to, you know what I mean, start serving, you know, grilled chicken salad. And nothing wrong with grilled chicken salad. It's just No, it's it wasn't not, where you were at. It, right. It wasn't the way you wanted to. Right. So... Um, you know, I continue to, to do what I what I want to do, and I'm trying with every possible inch of my body. And you know, finally, okay, we can't do this anymore. And um, you know, Danny Abrams from uh, yeah. The Mermaid Inn, yeah. he lives in the neighborhood, and he obviously could tell we were struggling. And he basically said, "Look, you know, I'll buy this from you. Um, you know, I would love to turn this into a Mermaid Inn. I think it'd be great." Blah blah blah. And we just we didn't have any choice. I mean. We were hemorrhaging money, and it was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I make a deal with Danny Abrams. Okay, we're going to give you the restaurant. It's yours. A uh, really depressing day in my life. And I go to sleep that night. And I would, it sounds like a fairy tale, but um, I'm supposed to have a meeting with Danny on Wednesday to close and give him my restaurant. And this is Sunday night. I'm going to sleep. I wake up Monday morning. And uh, I have a message from, um, what was the guy's name back then? The Michelin guy? Uh, anyway, I can't remember. Um, the. It's in the book. I can't remember his name. Um, but it's a, a voicemail telling me that I got a Michelin star. <laughs> really? <laughs> Literally a voicemail. And I'm like, there's no way I just found out via voicemail, you know what I mean, at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Jean-Michel. All right, yeah. So, you know, I, I call Laurent. I'm like, are you messing with me? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> Is it French accent? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know, I was looking to him for advice on what to yeah. do with my struggling yeah. restaurant. So I thought maybe he was just messing with me. Because, you know, Laurent, yeah. I know it sounds like a sick joke, but yeah. whatever. I just I could not believe this. You know? So I, you know, I checked the online, and, you know, lo and behold, there, there it is. I mean, Mark Forgeo and Michelin Star. And I was like, yes! Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> yes. not to paint an ugly picture, but I'm, like, dancing in the living room in my yeah. underwear, like. <laughs> um, and, you know, I called Danny Abrams, and I said, look, man, I mean, I know this doesn't put money in my pocket, but, you know, I'm going to give this another couple months. i got to see what happens now, you know what I mean? Right. That this kind of changes everything, you know what I mean? Right. I can't get a Michelin star and sell my restaurant. Like, right. You know what I mean? But i got to figure out how to do this. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't like the Michelin star, all of a sudden the doors started to fly what did it? What did it do, like, the next night in business? It added, give or take, I don't know, maybe 10%, to, you know, 15%. But it gave us that little... Nudge. Right yeah. <laughs> well, no, we were still losing money, but we were losing less money. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then the big break really happened. So that happened. And then, you know, then I got some press, like, you know, because you know, at my age, you know, and I, I wasn't the youngest American to ever get a star. I was the youngest chef owner. You know, there, there were chefs um, who didn't own their restaurant that I got one that were younger than me, but... You know, you know as well as I do, to be the chef owner is a lot different than being the chef. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. So takes it to a whole nother level. Yes, exactly. So you know, I was I think twenty nine when when that happened. So it was a big deal. Um, so I got some really good press about that, and yada yada yada. So, um, but the big break in like change in the restaurant was uh, 
uh, we had a um, an incident in the kitchen where I was yelling um, pretty loud, and you know somebody talked back to me, and whatever. I mean, it was just a kind of a bad scene. I mean, you know, chefs get mad sometimes. It's not Disneyland. And, you know, as I'm yelling at one of the guys in the kitchen, um, a customer comes into the kitchen. Because it's not an open kitchen, but it's an open doorway. And he asks, he doesn't ask me, sorry. He, he tells me to shut up. You know, like I'm trying to eat, shut up. <laughs> um, and it was just like, what? You know, what the hell just happened? And, you know, he leaves and like all my cooks are looking at me like. And there was a moment that I, I kid you not, it was like. You know, I kind of closed my eyes and like it was like looking at a path. You know what I mean? And at the end of that path, there was left and there was right. And you know, right was just stay in here and don't let you know, don't worry about it, and you know, whatever, finish out the night service. And then left was go outside and talk to this guy and find out why you know he felt like it was okay to be so disrespectful like that. And I said, screw it, I'm going out there to find out what happened. You know, long story long. I end up throwing him out of the restaurant because of something else he said at the table when I went to the table. And what did he say? You can say. I it. basically went out there and said, "Hey, look, you know, I'm, I, apo- I actually apologize. I'm, I'm sorry for yelling. You know, I'm, you know, you guys don't need to hear that. But the only reason I'm yelling is because I'm trying to make sure everything comes out to you perfect." And he like waves his hand in my face and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, we're not interested. You know, like get back in the kitchen, kind of thing." So I said, "All right, it's time for you guys to go." Blah blah blah. This was on a Saturday night. Was it all men? or was No, it was two couples. Two couples. What age were these people? I would say mid-30s. Okay. Um, and anyway, that was Saturday night. And then Monday, I get a call. The hostess comes back in the kitchen and says, you know, hey, the New York Times is on the phone. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And at the time, we hadn't gotten our review yet, um, which is another part of our first-year struggles. For whatever reason, we didn't get reviewed by the New York Times. And I'm going through that now with American Cut. It's very strange. Um, but anyway, so I was like, oh, you know, I, I guess the New York Times is calling a fact check, you know. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, I'm like, yeah, how, you know, how are you? This is Mark. And he's like, hey, you know, my name's uh, Ron Lieber. I'm a writer for the New York Times. I was like, okay, you know, how can I help you? He's like, well, I'm actually the guy you kicked out on Saturday no. night. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he thought I was going to like you know drop to my knees and apologize you know what I mean um, and I just said okay you know how can I help you what do you want you know and he's like you know uh, do you feel uh, now that you've had some time to think about it what you did was right and I was like look man I didn't throw you out because you came into my kitchen and told me shut up which most people would have I kicked you out because of how disrespectful you were when I came out to the table blah 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 anyway so we got into this and he's kind of pseudo interviewing me because he's going to write an article about getting kicked out of the restaurant um, and he misquotes me and paints this whole... But you could find it if you want for shits and giggles online. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he makes me out to be a tyrant and a maniac. And it's the same as watching a child beat the... Uh, watching a parent beat their child in the park and not say anything. And It turns into like this phenomenon online. And there's like, I don't know, there's thousands of replies within like an hour of this thing being being online. But... It was press. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Michelin star chef, Mark Fordjone, down in Tribeca. Um, you know, and How we got, did that help business? It, I'm not joking. From the day the article came out, the next day we did 50 more covers. You know what I mean? Um, and it was just people coming down there. 
Because I think what happened was people read the article and they're like, oh, Mark Fogion? Oh, you know, Michelin Star Restaurant? Oh, like I didn't even know. Yeah. You know, this was as... Who looks at the Michelin book? It was, it was <laughs> yeah. kind of after... It was, it was still during the recession, but people were yeah. spending a little more at yeah. this point. You know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, all of a sudden the restaurant got busy. And it actually kind of helped us because I don't think we were ready to be busy when we first opened. But now we were kind of a, an older restaurant. So right. now it was almost like a reopening. Literally almost like a reopening. And um, so that happened. You know, the place is doing well. And then I get the call from the Food Network. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of TV, believe it or not. I mean, I know I'm on it. But, you know, I've, I've always said the only show that I ever really liked or would do or would entertain doing um, was The Next Iron Chef. Like, I got asked to do every other show you can, you can imagine. And I said no. Um, and I always said to people around me, you know, I would love to be on the next Iron Chef. And I get a call from the Food Network, and it's the next Iron Chef, you know, casting director or whatever. And, you know, long story long, um, I get on the next Iron Chef. Didn't think I had a chance in winning, you know what I mean? I was, you know, up against some pretty amazing chefs, Marco Canora, and, you know, and Ming Tsai, and, you know, people that, you know, I knew and I looked up to and was like, you know, wow, this is crazy. Um, and then, give or take, like, by the fourth or fifth week, you know, all of a sudden there was like five or six of us left, and I kind of looked around and said, you know, I think I can actually do this. But what made me, what helped me win was the fact that I kind of cooked with, like, a reckless abandon because I didn't think I had a chance of winning in the first place. So I wasn't nervous about making a mistake. I was like, yeah, man, I'm, this is, like, free time, dude. I'm on here. Like, I'm, I'm going to try this, you know what right. I mean? And, um, and it really opened up a portal of like creativity in my brain that has never really shut down it like really opened something in my in my my creative process um really so you had never been that creative before because no something exploded it yeah. really did it was like i mean wow. i think it was because you're you know when are we as chefs ever really forced to come up with three dishes in a half an hour using this go you know what i mean it's like that's not how you work. Like, you no. know, you come into work, you right. analyze what you're going to work with, you think about a dish, blah, blah, blah. Like, this was just like... And I think it really snapped something uh, in my in my head. Um, Did that help business when you were on Well, and obviously I won, but we had to keep that a secret for six months. Right. I won in July, and it didn't air until... The final didn't air until November. So, you know, we had August, uh, September, October, and it was four months. So it started airing in October, and coincidentally, we finally got our New York Times review the Wednesday of the same week that the next Iron Chef premiered. It was October fifth or something so like what that, it, and it was like the best review you could have possibly imagined. I mean, it got two stars, but it read like a four-star review. I mean, it was like again you can find it online it was just I mean he it's my favorite restaurant in New York blah 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 blah, blah. the food's better than it needs to be I mean it was just like it couldn't have been any better um, so that week with that premiering we got our we retained our star that week as well we got the New York Times review I got Star Chefs Rising Star Chef that Tuesday all this happened in the same week <laughs> and there was something else that happened too. I can't remember exactly what it is, um, but it, we we look at that week as like the springboard, and 
my life and the restaurant's life has never been the same since that week. Um, so now you have a few restaurants. Why? Yeah. Why well, I only had Forge for you know four years before I even entertained doing something else, um, and you know a very simple answer why. I mean, people don't realize this, but I don't make any money off Forge. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Daniel Patterson out at Qua, I said to him, why are you opening these bistros? He says, I, I have to pay for my kids' yeah. school. No, I'm it's, not making it's, it's any It's the money. God's honest truth. Yeah. I don't make any money from Forge. I really yeah. don't. Yeah. I'm not even the highest paid person that works there. You're really? <laughs> wow. No, I know. So, it's very... Um, you know, the other, the other places were... Um, and not just for money. I don't want to say yeah. it's just for money. Um, you, you know, obviously, right. And, you know, obviously with my BLT background and, you know, I, I love steakhouses and I wanted to really, I wanted to create a different type of steakhouse. And I think that's what we've done in American Cut. It's really combining a fine dining restaurant with a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, Where exactly is the New York one? Uh, Granite, 363 Greenwich. Um, so Can I wanted to do that. From- I do. Yeah. And then um, Keo, um, you know, Pet, he's the chef there. Um, you know, we've been friends for 15 years, and, you know, he's been my sous chef on and off uh, two or three different times, and he's an amazing person, amazing chef. And uh, I've always, we have always wanted to open something. He was just never ready. And, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago, you know, he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'm ready. Is he Laotian? Yep. Yeah. So that's why it's a Laotian yes, restaurant. Yes, it's. I'm merely uh, support for him. It's it's his food. It's his, um, you know, it's his dream. You know right. what I mean? Um, and there's not a lot of people that I would put my name on something like that. Um, and Pet is one of those few people. You know, I was Peace Corps volunteer in Thailand for three years, and we used to go up to Laos because the French had Laos, mm-hmm. Thailand was British, so mm-hmm. you could get a bottle of Algerian wine for a dollar, <laughs> go to the Café de la Paix. This was during the Vietnam War, so it wasn't, right. you know, the Peace Café in those days. But Laotian is a dialect of Thai, mm-hmm. and the greatest um, saying in the world, I think, is a Laotian saying. And in Thai, there's a word called sabai, and sabai means everything is perfect, mm-hmm. just like one of those perfect moments. We don't even have an equivalent in right. English. And so the phrase is sabai ba, sadubalai, and it means I'm so sabai, it's like I'm sitting here with my thumb in my belly button. <laughs> <laughs> And if that you ever met you, Pet's mother, that, 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 that makes perfect sense to me. Perfect sense. Well, I've got to go because I love Laotian people. Oh, yeah, no, you'd love it. And it's, and it's, it's, it's as authentic yeah. as you'll find in, in New York City. And so where is that exactly? That's in Tribeca also. It's on Dwayne Street. Dwayne Street. Oh, I'm there. I'm there. Go there. So, so uh, what's your day like now? Um, it's nice you're sitting here talking to me. I'm really, really enjoying this. <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny. I've I've made it a point to to make sure that that uh, I still remember my roots and remember those humble days of doing ten covers a night. And um, you know, not a day goes by where I'm working that I don't get in the kitchen. Um, you know, whether it's working service or coming up with new dishes, I'm still very, very, very hands on uh, with everything. I mean, just today, for example, before I came here. Um, 
you know, we uh, we changed two dishes going on the the menu tonight at at Forge, and there's three new dishes going on to American Cut tomorrow, which I'll be at Forge tonight, and then American Cut tomorrow to make sure that the dishes go on the way that I want so them. So, how often are you in the kitchen? Five days a week. So, and like I said, I do it because I want to, not because I have to. I have plenty of employees. You know, I do it because um, it's what I like to do. It's what I love to do. Do you have dreams of, like, in five years I'd like to be doing X, Y, or Z? Do you still have Absolutely. mountains to climb? I what have, are they? I mean, I have an idea of what I want to turn, um, you know, Mark Forgione into eventually, which hopefully, you know, if the cards fall in my favor, I'll be able to do. Um, I can't really talk about it, but... Um, I definitely have um, ideas of um, of what I would like to do. I mean, so I'd, I'd really like to I'd like to really go concept. I'd like to really go for it at one point and like um, you know go for like the two or three uh, Michelin and you know fifty sixty covers a night and you know the really do the elegant um, thing that I've that I I think as I get older I'm getting more attracted to. You know what I mean? You know, if you go to eat at Forge, it's you know, it's it's beautiful and it's it's rock and roll and it's fun and it's exciting. And, um, but I think I'd like to have uh, a little more elegance as I as I start to get older. Where do you get inspiration now? <laughs> Everywhere, I get, I get inspired by everything. It's scary, actually. Um, last night, for example, I was um, doing an event at the River Cafe with my cousin and my sister. And when she, my sister was like, oh, how was New Orleans? I was like, oh, New Orleans was fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. We actually did a crab boil, uh, a crawfish boil, blah, blah, blah. And, like, as I was telling her the story, I go, how come people don't boil lobsters in the same manner that you do the crawfish when you suck the head out and get all the spices from it? And, like, my sister was like, hello? I was like, sorry. I was like, and I looked at my sister, I was like, that's how it happens for me. Like, I get inspired by anything. I'll walk by, like... McDonald's, you know what I mean, and it might something. I might smell something, and I'll come into the kitchen and say, "Hey, man, I want to try." You know what I mean? Putting raw onions on the burger before we cook it. I walked by McDonald's today and it smelled like something, or you know, eating at other restaurants, or you know, reading other books. So we're gonna have to. Um, it's a disease. It, it being a chef. It's well, just the whole not being able to turn it off. You know what I mean? Like it's. Not necessarily a bad disease, but it's 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 a twenty four hour, seven day a week thing that you know. Sometimes I sometimes when I'm a little tired, I kind of say to myself, "I wish I could turn it off every once in a while," but it doesn't. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> We're gonna have to um, close. In fact, this has been so great, I've let it go way over, and it's gonna be a two part interview. All right. So, what words of wisdom do you have for an aspiring? young chef someone who's starting out someone who's in school I tell every young kid when they start to make sure that that you love you love this business you love food you love cooking you love the way the kitchen is hot and you're sweaty make sure you love that make sure make sure that you love having to wake up when you don't feel like waking up and coming to work make sure that you love you know peeling potatoes I mean if if you don't love everything that this uh, job is about, you're going to be a miserable, tired, cranky, <laughs> a lousy cook. Lousy cook. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that word, no. Time.
Thank you so much. This Thank has you. really been um, inspiring. You're, you're one hell of a chef. Thank Thanks you. We'll hope to see you at the restaurant. Okay. Oh, you will. You will. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, shout out to Robin Cohen and Jack Inslee, my producers, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.